0: Three days makes and let's pray together father. I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments father uh, I know these folks are 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 just uh, to be commended for being here today. Thank you for uh, their faithfulness to your house on this very uh, Memorable occasion. I pray that you'd help us though. The moments be few that we'll spend together I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of each and every individual under the sound of my voice today I pray that you would remove me from self and fill me with you And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated. Jesus had just been buried. The jeering mobs that chanted, crucify him, they got their way. They celebrated as this man from Galilee was nailed to a cross. As the execution by crucifixion unfolded, they ridiculed and made a mockery of the one who had come to be the sacrificial death for their sins. They watched as nails were driven in the hands of the Son of God, not realizing that those nails should have been their nails. They gazed as the crown of thorns, probably two or three inch razor sharp thorns, dug into the scalp of the precious Lamb of God. The Roman soldiers, who carried out the execution as their duty demanded, gambled at the foot of the cross for the clothing that had belonged to the Savior. Darkness covered the noonday sky as God the Father turned His back on His only begotten Son. For three hours the sun refused to give its light. Those who stood nearby the cross could hear the seven sayings of Jesus as He bled and died for the sins of all mankind. Among those who heard those sayings were His mother Mary and John the beloved disciple. They could not believe the horror of what they saw that day. This is not all what they had imagined when Jesus spoke of his kingdom. They were thinking of an earthly kingdom. They were thinking of a political kingdom. They thought that Jesus was going to usher in some, uh, some type of uh, uh, peace and tranquility on the earth at that time. What they didn't understand was, was that Jesus came first of all to usher in a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom was made possible by his death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, they heard Jesus talk about being delivered to die at the hands of the chief priests and rulers. But now, they, now that they see it, it's hard to comprehend. I want you to see what they saw there at the foot of the cross that day. I want you to glimpse just for a few moments this morning as we, as we talk in the first part of the message about the shame of the cross. The shame of the cross. Understand that Jesus was treated that day as a common criminal. A common criminal. Of course, as Jesus was tried there uh, at the court of Pilate, uh, there was a common criminal that was uh, just uh, there uh, who, who was going to be delivered. His name was Barabbas. He was, uh, he, was, uh, he was a criminal himself. And Pilate, understanding that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death, but wanting to pacify the people, he said, Look, why don't I, why don't I deliver this Christ to you and, uh, and put Barabbas to death? And uh, surely he thought that the people, after all that Barabbas had been guilty of, after all the crimes that Barabbas had committed, surely the people would not want Jesus over Barabbas, or surely they would not want Barabbas over Jesus. But yet they said, release unto us Barabbas. And then Pilate turned to Christ and said, what shall I do with Christ? And they in unison began to mock and begin to chant, crucify him, crucify him. I want you to see the shame of how he was treated. He was publicly disgraced there on Calvary. He was ridiculed and cursed. He was, uh, he was uh, stripped of his clothing and, and, and nailed between heaven and earth there on the cross that day. The shame of the cross. Understand that shame belonged to you and me. Understand that the shame that Jesus endured on Calvary, the shame, the public humiliation, the, uh, the, the chance of crucify him, those should have been directed at you and I because Jesus, when he died on Calvary that day, bore the sins of all mankind, including my sins. Let's make it personal this morning, shall we? Those were my sins that Jesus took upon Himself. Those were your sins that Jesus took upon Himself. The shame of the cross. I want you also to notice this morning the suffering of the cross, the suffering of the cross. They took nails, not the nails of which you might would uh, that you might would uh, uh, think of at, at first uh, thought. I'm talking about nails that were probably anywhere from uh, six to ten inches long. Nails that we would uh, equate to that of a perhaps a railroad spike in our, in our way of thinking today. <clears throat> and they took those rusty nails and they drove those nails into his hands and into his feet, excruciating pain. No, the Romans did not invent the crucifixion. The crucif- people had been crucified for centuries before Jesus came on the scene some 2,000 years ago. But though they did not invent uh, execution by crucifixion, the Romans perfected it. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew uh, that they knew how to get the most out of this form of execution that caused the victim to suffer excruciating pain for an extended amount of time. Uh, I did some research on, on this method of, of execution, and in some cases, people could, could last for several days before death came. Several days, Two, three, even four days. Uh, By some historical accounts, that was not the case with our Savior. He had a work to be done, and he came and accomplished that work in those hours that he hung on the cross. But I want you to see the suffering of our Savior on the cross that day, the nails, the beating that preceded the cross itself. What many people don't realize is that before Jesus ever got to Calvary, he endured what the Romans called the scourge. The scourge, the Romans uh, uh, w- would take a victim and they would tie his hands most of the time above his head to stretch out the, uh, the tendons and the muscles of his o- upper body, the torso area specifically, and they would take a, a, uh, an instrument that they uh, commonly referred to as the Roman cat of nine tails, a whip from which came uh, uh, nine long leather uh, 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 pieces of uh, 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 straps, leather straps and so forth, and in those straps were tied pieces of glass or, or jagged metal or things of that nature, uh, things that would do a lot of bodily harm. And a strong Roman centurion would take and he would administer that, that scourge on the victim. And, uh, and, and many times Jesus was beaten with that Roman scourge, that cat of nine tails. And the Bible says that his visage, or it was so marred that you could not even recognize him as a man. And that was before he went to Calvary, before he was nailed to a tree. Before he was uh, uh, led down uh, the Via Rosa there uh, under the weight of that cross, Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition. And the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. I want you to notice not only the nails and not only the beating that preceded the cross itself, but the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns that were plaited together in mockery. These thorns uh, uh, were not uncommon for them to be two or three inches. I'm not talking about the thorns off of your common rose bush. I'm talking about thorns that were two or three inches long perhaps and plaited together in a crown and, and taken and placed upon his head in mockery and then beaten into his scalp so that, uh, so that uh, the, the blood uh, ran, uh, flowed freely down his face. I want you to think about the bones that were disjointed The bones that were disjointed. In Psalm chapter 22, verse number 14, the psalmist prophesied about the sufferings of our Savior, and he said, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. Notice the suffering of the cross. Jesus suffered like no other man has ever suffered, and yet he was innocent. He was innocent. He paid a debt that he did not owe, and I owe a debt that I can't pay. Jesus came, and he suffered in my place. And I want you to see this morning, if you're here for the first time, or you've been here all of your life, I want you to see afresh this morning the fact that Jesus did all of that for you. For you. For you. Then I want you to notice not only the shame of the cross, And not only the suffering of the cross, but notice also this morning, if you will, the sin of the cross. The sin of the cross. What the angry mob did not see on that day was the reality of what was going on. All they knew was, hey, we're finally getting rid of this this public scourge called Christ. These chief priests and rulers, Jesus was a thorn in their flesh since the beginning of his ministry three years prior to this. And all they could think about as they watched the Son of God suffer there was, we finally did it. We finally did it. We finally got rid of him. But what they did not understand was the fact that this was not just an execution of a man, this was the God man. This wasn't just getting rid of somebody that had been a thorn in their flesh. This was, the, this was the culmination of the plan of salvation that God had from the foundation of the world. This was the culmination of the verse in John. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15 where God came to Mother Eve and he said, hey, Eve, there's gonna come a day when, uh, when, uh, when the, the, the serpent is going to bruise your heel, but your seed is going to bruise the head of the serpent. Hey, I'm simply saying this was the day they didn't count on it as, as what, for what it was, but it was supernatural what happened that day. This was not just an execution of an innocent man. This was the wrath of God being poured out on his own son who was paying the sin debt that I owe. You see, that should have been my cross. That should have been my cross. And that should have been your cross. That's the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just another execution. It was God in the flesh commending his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for me. You know, it has to become personal. What happened 2,000 years ago cannot be just viewed upon as a historical fact. Although, yes, it was a historical fact. No, it's got to become more than that to you personally. It's got to become, hey, Jesus did that for me. God showed his love for me. Jesus became flesh for me. Jesus lived 33 and a half years sinless perfection for me. Jesus went to Calvary for me. Jesus was nailed to a cross for me. Jesus took a crown of thorns upon his head for me. Hey, it was for you. Don't Don't miss the personal application of it this morning. Christ died for you. He went to a cross willingly so that you and I could be forgiven for the wrong that we have done. The nails were mine. The, the crown of thorns were mine. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did extreme him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I'm simply saying after all the sufferings of the cross, were accomplished jesus gave up the ghost and commended his spirit to his father and it was done but wait a minute the crowd dispersed joseph of arimathea and nicodemus carefully and lovingly removed the savior's lifeless body from the cross and lay it in joseph's garden tomb a group of the chief priests came to Pilate, and they said remember that jesus that uh, said he would rise again after three days they went to Pilate and they said, look, this, they called him the deceiver, ironically enough. These chief priests, after Christ died, said, look, Pilate, his disciples, or Jesus himself said that he's going to rise from the dead after three days. And so, Pilate, we need to do something about this. We need to, we need to uh, set a watch. We need some Roman guards, some soldiers to guard the opening of that tomb because it would be just like his disciples to come and steal away his body and say, there you have it, Jesus is alive. Notice what Pilate said. I love this. In Matthew chapter 27, verse number 65, Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch. Go, make your way. Notice what he says. Make it as sure as you can. (laughs) Make it as sure as you can. Though we weren't there to hear Pilate say those words, you get the idea that Pilate wasn't very confident in their ability to secure the tomb. He said, well... Do what you want. Here, you want some soldiers? Fine. You want to set a stone over the, over the mouth of the tomb? Hey, that's fine. Hey, you got to watch. Make it as sure as you can. Notice the folks who wanted to keep Jesus in the tomb for just a moment. Notice the religious leaders wanted Jesus to stay in the tomb. The people who, uh, who Jesus ruffled their feathers during his ministry, they wanted Jesus in the tomb. Jesus was a challenge to their religion. Jesus, uh, everything Jesus taught flew in the face of their own piosity and their own uh, uh, Phariseeism, so to speak, and uh, and their own uh, works style of, of religion. Oh, hey, Jesus came and did away with all that stuff. They wanted him in the tomb. Pilate wanted Jesus in the tomb. You see, Jesus was the real king of the Jews, and Pilate knew it. Pilate knew it. Satan himself was interested in keeping Jesus in the tomb. If that happens, hey, if Jesus is in the tomb, there is no erection for any of us, as we talked about in Sunday school. Hey, if Jesus is in the tomb, uh, salvation is a myth. If Jesus is in the tomb, there is no hope for any of us. So Pilate says to these men, make it as sure as you can. I'll give you everything you need, fellas. I'll give you Roman guards. I'll give you a big stone you can put at the mouth of the tomb. Hey, make it as sure as you can. As you can. Set your finest soldiers on 24-hour watch. Make it as sure as you can. Day two comes. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. No unusual activity. No suspicious characters hanging around the tomb. The Roman soldiers kept their diligent watch. The chief priests came around to make sure everything is in place. Satan paces the universe, but his attention is directed at a tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem. Don't you know Satan is on edge? Yes, he is. Satan is getting a little nervous because, hey, he knows. The Bible says the, the devils in hell, they're, they're very familiar with Scripture. Yeah. They, they got PhDs in theology. Doesn't do them any good, but they know the Bible. Yeah. And Satan, though he goes about his business pacing up back and forth across the universe, his, his attention is fixated on that tomb outside the walls of Jerusalem. The Sabbath day comes. Saturday, if you will, and all's well, everything's fine. Saturday morning, everything's great. Hey, is Jesus still in the tomb? Oh, I think so. Yeah, he's still there. Oh, good, good. We're almost there. We're almost there. Hey, Pilate uh, sends word to the Roman soldiers. Is everything okay down in to the tomb? Oh, hey, Pilate, we got this. Everything's all right. Hey, nothing's getting past us. We're the best, and we're the best uh, soldiers that Rome has to offer. It, it's uh, hey, no, no, no worries, Pilate. It's all good. Saturday afternoon comes. Everything fine down there? Everything's fine. Everything's fine. That evening, the Sabbath ends at 6 o'clock local time there in Palestine. And night falls on the city of Jerusalem. The chief priests are beginning to breathe a collective sigh of relief. Pilate begins to direct his thoughts toward other matters related to his position. But sometime between sunset on the Sabbath and the dawning of Sunday morning, something amazing happens. Somewhere between the time the sun set on Saturday night and and the the time the sun comes up on Sunday morning, something happened that was supernatural, that Pilate couldn't stop, that the Roman soldiers could not prevent, that Satan himself could not put a stop to, hey, that all the forces of hell put together could not not, uh, uh, prevent from happening. It was the resurrection of our Savior. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose and Pilate couldn't stop it. And the chief priests couldn't stop it. And the Pharisees couldn't prevent it. And Satan couldn't put a stop to it. Hey, I'm simply saying nothing was going to stop Jesus from coming out of that grave. Why? Because he's a son of God. Ladies and gentlemen. That's the good news this morning. That's why we're here this morning. Uh, eternal life is available because of what's centered around that cross and that empty tomb. Pilate said, hey, make it as sure as you can. But there was nothing going to stop it. Hey, soldiers, do all you can. Sharpen your swords and, and, and strengthen your hands for, 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 for keeping that, that tomb secure. But when the time came for Jesus to rise triumphantly over death, hell, and the grave, Nothing was going to stop it. Right. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to this earth, laid down his life on Calvary, and rose again after three days so that you could go to heaven. And let me just invite all those for just a moment to an empty tomb. An empty tomb. The Bible says in the passage that we read about just a few moments ago, and I'm almost done. Thank you so much for your patience. In Matthew chapter 28, in verse number 2, it says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Now, understand something. Jesus was already gone. When that angel came and rolled the stone away from the, from the mouth of that tomb, Jesus had already been gone from the tomb. The angel didn't come to let Jesus out. Jesus didn't need any help getting out of there. A few, a few passages later, you see where Jesus appears to his disciples through a closed door. He didn't, need to get, he didn't need an angel to let him out. It wasn't as if Jesus was banging on that door saying, Hey, somebody let me out of here. Somebody let me. No, no, he's the son of God. You say, well, preacher, why in the world was it necessary for the angel to come and roll the stone away from the door? Hey, buckle up and get ready to help you with this. That stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so that uh, for the sake of those of us on the outside. That stone was rolled away for Mary and Mary Magdalene. That stone was rolled away so that Peter and John could look inside. That stone was rolled away so that the disciples could go by there and see the grave clothes, but no body to see the turban, but no body to see the the uh, the, the, the blood-stained uh, grave clothes, but no body. Hey, that stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. That stone was rolled away so that we could look in there two thousand years later and see once and for all, up from the grave, He arose. Tell it, proclaim it wherever you go. Tell it far and wide. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I'm simply saying, he's the only only hope you have for going to heaven. If you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that heaven is your home, I got good news for you. You won't get to heaven because of Muhammad. You won't get to heaven because of Buddha. You won't get to heaven because of Confucius. You'll get confused, but you won't get to heaven. Hey, you won't get to heaven because of a Baptist church, a Catholic church, a Presbyterian church, an Episcopalian church. You won't get to heaven because of good works. You won't get to heaven because of the waters in that pool right there. You won't get to heaven because of any other reason except for the fact that we serve a risen Savior. The gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And if you'll simply by faith receive Jesus Christ and what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection, he promised that he'd take you to heaven. What a good deal. What a good deal. Amen. What a difference three days makes. What a difference three days makes. You know, Easter makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. The Bible says, over in First Corinthians, we mentioned it in Sunday school, at the end of the lesson this morning, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, if there be no resurrection, we of all men are most miserable. If Christ be not risen from the dead, we are of all men most miserable. But may I say this morning, the opposite of that is true as well. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus is alive today, there can be joy. There can be hope. There can be life. Jesus said, I'm coming that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Hey, I'm I'm simply saying this morning, if you're here and you're not saved... Today can be the day of salvation. Today ought to be the day where you just settle it once and for all. I'm going to receive Christ. I'm going to, by faith, trust the Savior. And what he did for me, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm simply saying this morning, if you like to go to heaven, it's only through Christ. It's only through Christ. He paid the price. He did what was necessary so that you and I could go to heaven. What a great thought. What a great thought. Our heads are bowed.